As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Schmidt List, the podcast for people dedicated to managing successful projects, developing impactful products, and building engaged teams. And now, here's your host, Kurt Schmidt. Liz, how are you today? So good for you to be here. I'm very good, thanks, and I'm very excited to, to be here and uh, yeah, have this conversation with you. Awesome. So Liz, you're at December Labs. Tell me about what you do there and uh, what's your role? Sure. Maybe uh, first at December Labs, we are dedicated to building, meaning uh, designing and developing the custom software products. That's the technical way of putting it, but I really like to look at it more at we are helping other companies, entrepreneurs, founders, building not just their companies, their dreams, their visions. And coming to my role, I am the VP of Client Strategy. I'm oftentimes the one that gets to help them uh, visualize uh, how that might look like and how we can help. And I think that's also one of the parts that I'm most passionate about because on the contrary to, for example, just working at one company with their specific product, I actually get to um, talk to really amazing people every day and find out really about not just things that they are building today, but also I think the some of the greatest innovations of tomorrow. That's really awesome. I, I, I enjoy the work too. I love that. And that's one reason why I've always enjoyed the agency life is the variety. It's a new yeah. conversation every day. It's fantastic. And so it's, it's, it's an extra special treat today to be talking to a colleague like yourself that works in the same space. <laughs> and experiences the same opportunities that I do as well. So let me kick yeah. it off, Liz. A lot of the times, the first conversation I have with people is, I want to build an app. How much to build an app? <laughs> I tell them there's a lot to unpack there. Should you even build an app? Why would you want exactly. to, to build an application? If somebody comes to you, Liz, and says, how much for an app? What's usually your first what are some of your first questions you want to, what, what do you want to? Yeah, as you just said, one of the first questions is really, should you build an mm -hmm. app? Is mm -hmm. uh, an app the right um, format, the right space for that vision, for that product, 
for that offering that you have. And really one of the first things you always have to look at, and which I also, um, of course, ask in these conversations is, are there users that would like to use whatever you have to offer uh, in an app? Because that's really where it all starts off with. If you are not building something for someone, for a user, for a customer, for a client, right. um, then uh, you're just not getting it right from the start. Mm -hmm. Luckily, there are many different ways of validating this uh, really from the start today. That's the good news. I think really getting at the core of why did you think about this? How much research have you done? At what kind of stage of your product building process are you at? And how can we leverage any learnings you might have had up to this date? That's really where this conversation starts. And to your point, they it doesn't seem that most of the time when people have shown up, they've done enough due diligence with their mm -hmm. customers. And to be honest, and not to turn off people, sometimes it's very <laughs> ego driven. It's like, if we have an app, we, we're a real business or, or something. Do you find that too? Yes. Or even if you think about most startups or entrepreneurs, their ideas are, uh, typically come uh, either from personal experiences mm -hmm. or experiences uh, within their environment. And first of all, you really have to validate if that just happened to you or <laughs> if there is really a market <laughs> right. for that um, outside. The conversation, of course, is very different if you already have an existing business and the app is a new part of the business or is an add-on or is a new ways of engaging with your customers. In those cases, the conversation is typically very different because yeah. you already have a basis of analytics, of user feedback, of an existing business that we can leverage to ideate about that new idea. Really getting an understanding of where that person is at as far as their personal and product life cycle uh, is really what will then define where this conversation goes. And I think it's important to, like you said, to really do that customer research to go out and talk with customers. The problem that I've found, though, is a lot of businesses are really afraid of their customers <laughs> in general, and they don't want to talk to them. Like They're happy sending them a form or a survey or something to say, hey, would you use these things? But going out and actually having the conversation can be difficult for folks yep. because they're a little frightened because mm -hmm. I've also seen this sort of attitude of when, well, I don't want to show them anything until it's done, right? Until it's done. And you and I both know that building an application is like taking on a, a pet or uh, it's not, it's never yeah. done. It, there's constant care and feeding yeah. that needs to happen. And is that a conversation you need to broach a lot as well? I think many different parts of this relationship between a company and their customers, their clients, that kind of gets unraveled during these initial conversations. Yep. There are some companies that are really at an advanced stage. And for example, they integrate um, the, their customer success team directly with the new product development team. Or That's actually a place where people are constantly gathering feedback from users and that gets translated into kind of the mid-short-term product strategy. Yep. Um, but there are many cases where it's not the case, uh, where, where this is really not what is happening. And this kind of fear of what your customer might say is, again, a very important uh, conversation to have. Luckily, there are today, there are, there are many, many investigations, of course, about these types of topics. And sometimes you hear that you might just have to speak to about five customers or five to 10 customers mm -hmm. to get an idea of about 80% of the potential problems. And the good thing is that oftentimes that is true. And if you, if we're talking about validating something with users, that doesn't mean that we have to speak to each and every customer right. that 
Yeah, but you can actually do this in kind of, you know, a phased way. You can, you know, leverage different UX tactics. When I'm speaking about UX tactics, I mean, you know, your background is, of course, also from design. But for the people that are not that acquainted with it, user experience, user interface, design and research mm -hmm. provides today so many different tactics based on design thinking methodologies that, that really have almost one solution for each and every case. So the, the science of this is just finding out what is the right path. The interesting thing is that it's such a it's adding it's adding like another arm of your business it to a number of organizations we talk to the, the one of the first things we also also ask them is are you ready to become a technology company because it could be that they are a manufacturing company it could be that they're construction could be in a very different industry and uh, an application like this that's consumer facing you're becoming a technology company in a way. You've got to support it. You've got to keep yeah. it, care and feed it. And because, uh, again, there's this kind of old school thinking of we'll just get it and it'll be done. And then it'll be out in the world, right. just like you're building a yeah. house, right? Like the house is done. So no, you got to change right. air filters and the, the water heater breaks. There are going to be broken pipes, uh, which uh, in software development would be the bugs and everything. It's part of the life cycle and mm -hmm. it's not necessarily something uncommon. Yes, I think, again, you know, the conversation is very different uh, if you are talking to someone where the app or the tech product is an, an add-on or yep. if uh, really the core of what they do is technology. Right. Because also, if technology is at their core, then you will probably be talking to a CTO um, or someone technical from their team. But sometimes when really the core of the company is non-technical in the software sense, then there's a lot more education to do. But on the other hand, there will be a different foundation when it comes to product and users, mm -hmm. which is also a good starting point. Really, the priority of these kind of conversations is, uh, again, going back to what we initially said, one of the really most uh, exciting parts of this. Yep. And, and to that point, a lot of these organizations that maybe not are born in tech as much, they can be very Siloed. And I think you you touched on this is that maybe the CEO or somebody higher up has this big idea their manufacturing arm works differently than their marketing arm, than their sales arm. And these groups are they don't really talk to each other a ton. Now, this sort of when you're thinking about building a consumer facing app, you got to bring all those people to the table. And that in itself can be one of the biggest challenges is breaking down mm -hmm. barriers inside your organization towards that goal because it is there is a bit of a cultural transformation that happens as you mm -hmm. build on tech because it's not just we'll give it to IT and they'll manage it like our ERP system. No, and also, again, going back to the question, is what you need really an app? Or what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Because if, if you're building an app, you have to think about, are users going to be willing to download that app? Is there a, a type of repetitive use that, that you know gives you an excuse to actually be offering an app here versus, for example, a mobile responsive uh, website or web app, yep, however right. you want to call it? Or, it, or do you already have, for example, a website or a web offering? And what you're seeing is um, an increased demand of actually a mobile solution, or you see that actually most of your customers are accessing that platform through their mobile phones. That's a totally different um, starting point. So again, being able to uh, leverage, on the one hand, quantitative, use, uh, um, quantitative data, for example, analytics of an existing platform or qualitative insights from an existing user base is really, it can give you 
you a good idea of if this is the right path or not. But then even uh, if you have decided, okay, the mobile app is my way to go, there are so many other decisions to be made. Is my user base divided between iOS and Android? Do I have to build an app for both? Um, is there the possibility to build a hybrid app for mm-hmm. both of them? And again, am I going... Like, how big is this app going to be in the sense of features, in the sense of integrations um, with the actual phones and the hardware? Yeah, really, the conversation starts really at a high level, but then gets granular very fast. And I think you brought up something really Mm -hmm. interesting there, Liz, because looking inward on why you should be building this app is a little bit more important than looking outward because I have so many people that show up and say, we wanna be the Uber of whatever, or the Airbnb of whatever. And they think I can take these other successful sort of platforms and apply it to my company. And then (laughs) boom, there's a new business thing. But what you're talking about, Liz, is looking internally and at the data and the analytics you have that speaks to a more stronger opportunity, right? Yeah, exactly. And also, again, thinking about what what that mobile product will be. Again, is this going to be an extension? Is this going to be something very different? Does it have to be integrated um, with your existing business? A good example of a company um, like that kind of has um, gone into tech that we've been working with is Inspire Fitness. They're within the Peloton uh, segment. And uh, traditionally, they were building treadmills and fitness equipment. Mm-hmm. But, but now they have started to pivot towards also building smart fitness equipment. And this is actually exactly this type of case where they already have a background on their fitness equipment and they know what their consumer base likes Mm. and how that works. But now getting into the smart fitness equipment area is something very different. How do you how do you leverage the success from companies such as Peloton, but um, still maintain a unique value proposition? How do you compete with that? Because as you said, we have people every day that ask us about building the next Uber, the next ride sharing app, the next social network. And the question is always, so why? should I be you know, using your app versus the ones that are already out there where these companies have spilled millions, sometimes billions of dollars building it. Yep. And you might just have a budget of you know, 100 or 200K. So mm-hmm. what is it that you're offering that will really make the difference? And uh, sometimes there are people that actually do have quite a good idea of what they're going to be, uh, be doing different. But sometimes, yeah, we just go right into validating this and seeing if there is really something there. Yep. Let's talk about that because investment is something like I mentioned at the top of the conversation, people want to know how much to build an app. And I remember recently, just like you were saying, somebody had approached us and wanted to build something that I think competed with Zillow in a way. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. And I think the estimate came in at like 1.8 million or something. And they were shocked. They were completely shocked. And I'm like, Zillow has 5,000 employees. And (laughs) yeah, and this isn't even a thing that would compete directly with them. This just has a part of what they do. And and, and a big question was, do you, are you going to hire the staff to support this? And all the other things that would go around it, to your point, the customer service side of things, the IT side of things, the research and the data, there's a whole thing behind it where people just see this sort of facade of an app, but they don't Mm -hmm. see everything that that goes beyond it. Now, as you and I both know, that's one reason why in design we can prototype things at a much cheaper cost to test those ideas. And sometimes with folks, that can be a challenging conversation. Have you found that to be the case? 
Yeah, there's still a lot of education uh, to happen. If you think about it, user experience, I think it started trending in Google search, I think around 2014 or so. So <laughs> yes. uh, looking at how software has been around for a few decades now, still, it's almost surprising that uh, yeah, user-centric design and research is still relatively new. Also, my, my background <sighs> is in marketing, and marketing does not work if you don't focus on the customer, on the consumer. Right. And uh, and again, it, it was always almost surprising to me when some years back I pivoted into tech, how there are even learnings for marketing as far as A-B testing or things like that, that almost seemed like something new. Um, But as you said, the good news is that there are um, possibilities of validating a clickable prototype that will, um, you know, cost you just decimals of what actual development would cost. And uh, we have had actually several clients that took those initial prototypes, for example, to investors as well and Mm -hmm. said, hey, we actually validated this prototype with a segment, with a potential segment of this user base. And with that, they showed there was actually something there. They were actually able to show the reaction of users while navigating through that prototype, their comments, their facial expressions, everything around that experience, which then so much more value to um, their product idea than, you know, just a marketing deck would have done. Right. And like you said, before they dumped Mm -hmm. in a ton of money into something that... You know, as soon as it goes out there, it's out of date. It needs to be updated immediately. Yeah. I don't remember who said the famous quote, but no customer survives its first impact with a with a new product <laughs> or no right. product survives its impact with the customers. And the sooner you get it. And that's the advice I always give people just like you, Liz, is the sooner I can get this in front of people and have them mm-hmm. react to it, the sooner we, we can sit in a room and have tons of ideas. We can whiteboard till the cows come home. But right. until we can put something in front of someone and say, would you use this? And then we can validate those ideas and, and go from there. So I think sometimes, though, I've found that people can get a little frustrated by that because they want to be able to show up like buying a car or a, something mm-hmm. and be like, OK, let me give you my requirements. And you just go build the thing and then I get the thing and then we go from there. And then when we're like, whoa, (laughs) let's talk to customers. Let's do all this and that. They're like, oh, man, that's a that's a lot of stuff. I just want to build something. And those are usually the people we avoid working with, to be honest with you. We say there's plenty of places out there that will take your list of requirements and just go and build whatever you like. And I can certainly refer you to Mm -hmm. those folks. But to and it sounds like, Liz, that you also work the same at December Labs where you're working really hard to make sure is this idea worth working on not just for you yes. but for the customer yeah themselves. and also there I, th- I think you're right to the point there for us really when we work with someone then ideally that we're in it for the long run mm-hmm. and as when the initial kind of approach is really not user-centric just product-centric in a way then that typically is already you're off to, to the wrong start there and you're not understanding that uh, UX UI, UX UI design and research is part of that development. It's not something that you can skip today, but mm-hmm. also there's a lot of education that we do around this not necessarily needing to be a huge cost impact because that's also, we oftentimes have startups come to us and say, hey, but I'm not Google. I can't get into a room to strategize, just leave everything else and think yeah. about the product and start <laughs> talking to hundreds or thousands of users. And then it's really about educating as far as no, but that's not needed. We we actually 
everyone has their own process. And while you're, of course, typically basing it again on design thinking methodologies, you start tweaking and adapting it to the typical customer or client that you have. So in our case, for example, we've come up with our own process that is really UX centric. And ideally for any kind of UX UI design, we have um, up to three instances where we validate with users. But mm. again, this can be a very small user base. But at the initial, the research discovery phase, validating that the customer's idea, the client's idea is really what also users um, are aligned with, then validating throughout the process and validating the final product. Again, with those instances that, yes, maybe might make your UX UI phase a couple of weeks longer, you're going to be so much more stronger uh, when you enter in development. But the other important thing is that sometimes our clients think that design and development really have to be totally separated. But that's also one thing that is not true. On the one hand, the developers really need to be involved from the very beginning to make sure that the designers think enough outside the box uh, to really build something amazing, but also inside the box to actually design something that's then viable to build uh, the, the requirements, the timeframes and the expectations of mm -hmm. the client. And then on the other hand, the designers have to be involved during the development process to make sure that actually what they mapped out is also being implemented. There are There's, uh, again, so much education education to do, but it's also very interesting because there are so many people that are really eager to learn about these things and yeah. that once they start discovering how really this can make their life so much easier, they actually get really excited about this. And we use, and I'm sure you use it too, we use the analogy of house building all the time. You've got the architecture, yeah. you've got the plans, you need all these things. And to, to folks who are, they get it, they understand that there's a process mm -hmm. to doing something like this but when you're used to just buying SaaS products off the shelf and installing them into right. your business building something custom can be a jarring experience because you're mm -hmm. used to a customer service person coming in and saying here's salesforce yeah. like just just get all the users on board yeah. and we're going we're using the thing and right. I, f I find that's uh that can be a, a challenging thing so let's I, th I think we talked about a lot of great things here liz but let's back up just for a second what are some of the things you would suggest before somebody goes to an agency like yours or mine to uh, to build an application, what are some of the things they could do ahead of time to be more prepared for those initial discussions? What do you, what would you say? To there are some basics such as competitor analysis, just looking what's out there and maybe mm -hmm. not just in your market, but also in others that might give you some ideas and uh, some learnings because if someone already made the same mistakes or yeah just has had certain experiences that you can leverage uh, and don't have to do again then that's something of course good to to be learning from yep. on the other hand again if you already have existing customers leverage that and don't be scared about that sometimes it can be as easy as uh, you know just sending out an initial survey mm -hmm. or again talking to your existing customer success team and asking them what are the typical tickets that you're getting what are the typical complaints like what are you spending most of your time in because that's also in the end a potential area of a return of investment of, for example, UX UI, when you think about really improving things that your customers are already complaining about. But when it comes again to um, that initial idea of, should I build that app? Um, then there should also be just a, a more thorough analysis of what am I trying to offer to whom and what is that unique value proposition? What kind of problem am I solving? Am I solving a problem? <laughs> am I creating a problem, right? It, it, is, it is adding, it's not a passive thing you're adding to your business. It is an active, living, breathing, yeah, growing thing that... Yeah. 
am I prepared to maintaining an app? Yep. Am I prepared to understanding that I'm not even talking about just regular updates because the operating systems of Android or iPhone change things and break things. I'm just talking about how is this going to evolve? And of course, you don't necessarily need to have a two or five year plan. If, if you have one, then that's probably a problem because things are going to change that. It's, but in two years, that, that's yep. just... Well you can have spent. some goals, but, maybe not a plan. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, the, but it's always good. I always like to ask um, people when they come with an idea of, okay, so what's the current idea, but let's just dream for five minutes. Where do you think this could go? Because that gives you sometimes insights of where they really want to go. And that sometimes changes the analysis, the response, the, the actual plan, because mm -hmm. sometimes that is where the unique value proposition lies, but not what they initially want to build. Or sometimes it's the other way around. So yeah, uh, I think those are just <laughs> many conversations. <laughs> I know. Okay. So last question, Liz, if, uh, if I'm thinking about this application, maybe I've done a little bit of that user research, those types of things. Back to your point about maintaining it. Should I plan to be working with this agency forever? Should I plan to hire people internally? What are some of the suggestions you give to folks on how mm -hmm. once we've added this to our business, how do we keep it the life support going? What are, what are you just, mm -hmm. what do you usually Typically, and it, it doesn't even matter that much if you're a startup that is starting out with this tech product or if you're an existing company that wants to add tech, a tech product to its array of products, mm -hmm. really you're tapping into something new. So you don't know yet what is going to happen. You don't know yet how much or how quickly you will have to scale, um, how that need also might change, especially after this initial validation. The advantages of going initially, at least with, with an outsourced company, is that definitely that you are more flexible and that the companies such as December Labs or yours might be able to adjust quickly to these kind of changing needs. I personally am always very excited when I see that our clients are starting to hire internally because that means that they're doing well. I always love it when we uh, have the possibility to keep working with them and integrate with those teams because mm -hmm. again sometimes they might need some extra muscle just on some area or or just for a certain uh, amount of sprints or a certain uh, product feature and sometimes this becomes you know really a long-term relationship but actually yes for me seeing how companies really start growing their teams internally is always something because I also understand that of course company culture and everything is something that you want to build but I also have to say that, especially with the pandemic last year, just the level playing field of remote work in general has really changed. And I see today so many people that just also understand that this idea of the in-house staff is overrated in some points, yep. meaning that for certain things, you can actually leverage global talent. You can actually get really the perfect fit of availability of skills that in a different way then you might on local level where that will certainly be more limited. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a possibility for, or there there are potential options for really each and every one, but, uh, but that really depends on also how quickly you want to grow what you're building right. and how well prepared you are. Yep. Speed is uh, speed factors into it quite a bit. And that, yeah, I think that's one reason yeah. why people reach out to outside agencies, just like you were saying, Liz, is I think speed is a factor, but it's also that uh, unique talent pool of mm -hmm. all these different disciplines under one roof. And and I explain to people no. all the time, it isn't just UX and development that we do. This is a cultural experience. Our team has so much experience working together as a team building products right. versus maybe your team, which 
which, like I mentioned before, could be a bit siloed between some of these different areas. And using our team as a pace car to come in and help build that, I think, has been really valuable for, exactly. for the partners and people that we work with. It's not for everybody, but it definitely is definitely easy to explore. And people like yourself and me, Liz, we're more than open to talk with people any day of the week about what their hopes and dreams are. The agency model also really thrives when you're in between that. I want to have staff within the company or also going with freelancers, which is another option. Sure. But there you just have to be really prepared of, you know, uh, maybe a little bit more micromanagement or just so people maybe not providing the same stability. So again, or even when it comes to, you know, selecting an agency, there there are design and development companies out there all over the world, and there Mm -hmm. is certainly a fit for everyone. I would say when it comes to what we really try to do or what makes us unique is, yeah, that we really try to offer the best combination of having, well, for for most of our clients who are US-based, you know, a nearshore team with kind of the same time zone, a cultural fit, uh, attractive pricing, but also really holding ourselves to high standards. And again, this is something that you can only show while working with someone, how that translates then into an everyday team. But overall, if, if you're not if you're not in it for the passion and for building really exciting things, then I'm very sorry for you. It can be a very painful process. I, yeah. I definitely appreciate that. All right, Liz, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I really value your experience and your perspective. I think it's really valuable. And thank you for taking the time to share it with me today. Liz, if I want to know more about you and December Labs and the work you do there, where's a good place to go? Where should I connect? I'm sure, of course, DecemberLabs.com will give you an idea of what we do, what we've done, where we're going, who we are. Then, of course, feel free to, to hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm always uh, good on uh, virtual coffees <laughs> today. I you know, still not being able to meet as, as much as we can. But then uh, another thing you might find interesting is checking out our blog where we have a lot of insights about all these different topics that we were talking about today and just can share a little bit more uh, in-depth background. Also, I, I always love to speak to people on podcasts just to have a more deeper conversation about these types of topics so yeah you can also find on our socials and on our website a couple of other places uh, where i'm discussing these types of topics that's great liz then again thank you so much you guys do fantastic work and i'm so grateful to be connected with smart individuals like yourself and appreciate you taking the time to share with the audience no, thank you very much. This was a very delightful conversation. I'm always glad to speak to people that are like-minded, that have similar experiences, <laughs> and just think we can all always learn That's from right. each other. So we got to stick together, Liz. Thank you for listening to Schmidt List. If you like this episode, you'll love our new YouTube channel. Just head to YouTube and search for Schmidt List and subscribe. We'll be doing live interviews and career coaching weekly, so I'd love to see you there. If you're interested in how my company, Foundry, accelerates innovation, head to foundrymakes.com to check out all the work produced by our amazing team of strategists, designers, and engineers for companies of all sizes. And one last thing, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes as it helps other fantastic people like yourself find the show. Have a great week, everyone. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.